are Locked On Wildcats. Your daily podcast on the Arizona Wildcats. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks for keeping it Locked On Wildcats. I'm your host, Mike Luke. Joined by my guy, Rob Lance. Uh, affectionately call him Boss, the mentor. What's going on, Rob? How you been, buddy? Mike, I'm doing really well. I know our schedules haven't uh, clicked the last couple of weeks, so it's great to be back on Locked On Wildcats and always fun to talk about what's going on, not only with the University of Arizona, but we've got some news for the rest of the conference, too, that we can break down. We certainly do. So uh, we have a new Pac-12 commissioner around these parts, Mr. George Kolobkov. And I'm going to tell you one thing. I'm going to give him a chance because nobody could be worse than Larry Scott. You got to see up close and personal Larry Scott uh, and just kind of how atrocious he was. So before we move on to George, let's get your opinions on the Larry Scott tenure at the U of A or at the Pac-12. Uh, I would say the only good thing that came out of the uh, Larry Scott tenure, Mike, was kind of a no-brainer move, but nobody else had made it before that point, was moving the Pac-12 basketball tournament, the men's back Pac-12 basketball tournament, to um, Las Vegas. I, I don't know if there was ever anything else that you know he did that was above and beyond uh, anything of notoriety, I guess, you know, expanding the conference, but that was kind of in a, in an arms race where everybody was looking to, uh, to expand. I know that he tried to go after Oklahoma and Texas, which would have been quite the coup. Couldn't pull that off and had to settle for Utah and Colorado, which isn't quite the same level as the, uh, the Longhorns and the Sooners. Um, so it's one of those things that is like, okay, let's let's just clean house, clean the slate, and and move on. You're not really setting a very high bar uh, coming in here following uh, Larry Scott. You know what's amazing about Larry Scott is that, and I'm sorry, we're going to talk a lot about Larry Scott. We were Rob and I were going to talk. We're, we'll talk some U of A athletics for sure. But you and I got to watch kind of the dissolution or the of the Pac-12 slash Pac-10 earlier as a major entity under the reign of Larry Scott. Now, you're a couple years older than me, but we're still old. And when I was growing up, when you were growing up, the Pac-10 really didn't take a backseat to anybody outside of what ESPN and Dick Vitale thought. I mean, think about it. You had Arizona and UCLA, always top 10 basketball programs. Won national titles two out of three years uh, in the mid-90s. Stanford was always in the mix. You go over to football, Arizona had two years in the top 10. ASU has a top five season. Washington wins a national championship. Up and up down the board, and it, no matter what Dick Vitale tried to say, it was a major problem for any other conference. And it quickly became kind of a joke under Larry Scott, not just for what we saw on the field, but just because of some of the revenue deals. I'm sorry, when USC Stanford football is playing at what? 10:30, 11:30 Eastern time. I don't care what the negotiation was. That goes back to the commissioner because nobody should that's like having Alabama or excuse me, that's like having Duke North Carolina buried. You can't have stuff like that and it became all too commonplace. Well, it wasn't even necessarily the time slot that those games were played in, Mike. They were played on a network that the vast majority of the country did not have in the Pac-12 network where including yourself you know, you, 
Right. I mean, it's a lot of, I, I did not have the PAC 12 network until recently when I changed subscribers because I was not going to get rid of the NFL Sunday ticket in, uh, right. in, um, you know, from direct TV. So I was one of those that, that stood strong and fast and, and didn't do that where people in foreign countries in like China could watch PAC 12 basketball and PAC 12 football, because I guess that was a growing market for college athletics when they could watch it, but I couldn't just because they refused to get a deal done with DirecTV. That's always something that's going to sour the uh, the tenure uh, of Larry Scott. So I, the lack of exposure, um, I think specifically for football, has been a very big hindrance uh, for this conference over the last, you know, however many years Scott has been in charge, where you went from SC, which was a perennial top, five team to maybe a top 15 team but then you had Stanford and Oregon who kind of took up the mantle but they were never really showcased the way that you know some of the other premier teams in the country were showcased from the SEC or from the the Big Ten or the Big 12 and I know that time zone things kind of play into that on occasion but you hit on it perfectly you can't have those marquee games kicking off at 10:30 Eastern time. The only time that people are going to stay up and watch that is if they've got money on the game. And while that's a growing thing, that's a growing market uh, across the country, that's a game that needs to kick off at, you know, 4:30 Eastern time. When so you're heading into that like prime time sort of slot before or one of those big ABC games uh that's on, you know, for prime time across the country. It, it just never seemed to happen on a regular basis uh under Scott yeah, and it, it's just good, too, to see him out because have you ever seen somebody that was more aloof? I mean, there are, there are certain people out there that consume the Built Bar because the Built Bar is good. It's the common man's food, but it also is just something that's replenishing. Guys like Larry Scott, I don't know, understand really what the Built Bar is all about. And when you get somebody in this position, I don't need them to be like you and me. But I need them to understand, you know what it's like after you get out of the gym and you're like, man, I could really go for a built bar right now. And Larry Scott just never struck me as that kind of guy. Now, the new guy we got coming in, George, I'll be honest with you. There's not a lot of commissioner type movement to his resume, but he's involved with sales. He's involved with gambling and he's been very successful in business. That's a lot better than running women's tennis in my book. I think so too. Um, but you think he, he's been involved with athletics um, on some fronts uh, with some WNBA teams. I guess he's pretty close with uh, with the group that got the Raiders to Las Vegas. I was reading too. So he has experience and that sort of thing. Mike, the one thing that, that really stuck out to me though, just reading some of the quotes from his press conference was he really kind of drove home the, the nail on, no, our bread is buttered with football and basketball. I mean, all those other sports are great, but it's it's got to be football and basketball uh, that are at the forefront of this. And and that's something that is, like we were mentioning, fell by the wayside under the previous uh, administration. So it, I think that it was great that, you know, it's almost like I was joking with some other friends that every single question that you ask this guy, his answer should have just been like, we're going to make profit off of football. That, that should have just been every single thing because that's every that's how every athletic department uh, is run. For as successful as Arizona softball has been, for example, or as successful as Arizona uh, baseball has been, you have to have successful and uh, you know 
teams that are turning a revenue in football and basketball in order to prop up the rest of your athletic department. And that's not just here at Arizona, that's across the board. And those have fallen by the wayside here at Tucson. And it's fallen by the wayside across this whole conference where they were sold a bag of goods uh, or a bill of goods under Scott that never really came true. And so here, hopefully the new commission can go ahead and, and turn that around um, and start to get the ball rolling in the right direction. Yeah, and I think it's a, I think it's just a West Coast fan as an Arizona sports fan. You're always kind of battling the East Coast media to begin with, and that's why you need somebody right there that is at least going to be in the forefront and saying, you know what, if you're going to ignore us, you're going to ignore us while I'm basically poking you in the eye the entire time. And that's what I at least kind of get the initial vibes from. So it'll be interesting to see how exactly this goes. But I'll tell you one thing, though. If George is serious about this and he's got a good car and he wants to save some money, he should be using rockauto.com. Thanks for keeping it locked on, Wildcats. I'm your host, Mike Luke, joined by the boss, the mentor, the man, Mr. Rob Lance. All right, I wanted to give a special little shout-out for uh, Mike Bibby today. It is his 43rd birthday. Wow, does that make me feel old. But um, in my opinion, at least in my time, I never saw Sean Elliott, so... Mike Bibby, I generally regard as the best player that I ever saw in an Arizona uniform. And Rob, I mean, you were up close for a lot of the U of A basketball. You watched it like me coming up. What are your recollections on Bibby and where do you rank him kind of in the hierarchy of everything? You know, I spent a lot of time thinking about this, Mike, and this is a really difficult question because you you can, you can approach it a couple different ways and almost in a contradictory sort of way where Elliot obviously is the the main guy as far as you know it's not even a debate in who the best player in program history is it's it's Sean Elliott and there's not even really a close second uh, to that um, Bibby is on that short list though if you want to try and rank the best of the rest uh, but the funny thing is I don't know if either of one of us would have him as the best point guard to play at Arizona I think we both probably picked Damon but in the grand scheme of things Bibby might actually be a better player than Damon. So you kind of are parsing uh, kind of what you're looking for there. The first time I remember hearing about Bibby was he was coming down here to play into Tucson to play. I think it was at Sal Point. Yep. And I was unable to go to that game. I know some people that attempted to go to that game couldn't get anywhere close to the gym because it was so packed. Uh, with a chance to go watch Bibby play. So the first time I ever really saw him play was his freshman opener against North Carolina. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to ever find a more impressive debut from a college point guard. He stepped on the court there, Mike, and he was just he he was perfectly in place. He he didn't seem like he was phased by anything. He didn't seem like he was out of place, that the the uh, occasion was too big for him. I mean, not only is it your freshman debut, but it's against North Carolina of all teams. I mean, obviously one of the best programs in the country. And Bibby just had this maturity and calm to him from the very first time that he stepped on the court uh, for Arizona that obviously led to huge success over the next two years. And that's not something you find every day uh, in an 18-year-old kid that's coming in that lives up to the hype. Uh, that he had coming on campus. You know what's amazing, too, about Mike Bibby is that Damon might have been better, but the more I thought about it, I would take Mike Bibby if I needed to win a game. And that's not a slight towards Damon, but I think when it comes to Mike Bibby, 
and what made him so unique. And I'm going to go back to what Brian Jeffries has told me a bunch of different times. And Brian, who's seen everybody up close, and please spare me with the Bruce Larson era. I know somebody's going to message me saying, you didn't see uh, Coneal Norman. That's fair. I did it. So let's just say Lou Olson era on. And Brian always says that if he had to take one player for a game, he would take Mike Bibby. And I would ask him, I'd say, you know, why was that? And he says, I've never seen anybody control the game like he did. And I think that hits the nail on the head. Bibby wasn't the fastest. He certainly wasn't the most athletic, but he moved at his own pace. The moment was never too big. He was clutch. He literally checked off every intangible factor with a 10 plus. Like, and people that weren't fortunate enough to see some of these guys and I'll hear from time to time saying, oh, you know, well, where does T.J. McConnell rank amongst these? This isn't a diss towards T.J. McConnell because he was very good, but if you saw Mike Bibby, you just know. Mike Bibby was something different, and like you said, Rob, he lived up to the hype, which I think really beat the odds because most guys that come in with that hype, and Arizona basketball really hadn't seen anybody with that kind of hype come in to that point, or I would argue after that. And like you said, that first game in Springfield all the way to the national title game, he was something else. He was something that just didn't come through the desert very often. And he was even better the next year as as a sophomore. He was a consensus All-American on a team that was by far, if not the best team in the country, right there with Kentucky again and just, you know, kind of ran into a buzzsaw there in that uh, Elite Eight game against Utah. But, I mean, he... I can't remember like ever being frustrated in those two seasons by Bibby. Never. It seemed like every decision he made was the right decision. Um, and you hit on something there with his pace, Mike. That's something that you very rarely see uh, from such a young point guard. I-, I can think of maybe one or two other freshman guards uh, in the Pac-12, not even in Arizona, that have come in and played with that sort of maturity and, you know, the only other one, and this is going to be really high praise, is Jason Kidd. Yeah. Uh, besides Bibby, Kidd was the only guy that kind of played within himself, but also was such a different type of player and made everybody around him so much better um, that played with that maturity from a young age that, that I think Bibby even ranks close to that. And that's extremely high praise because you're talking about one of the, the top point guards to play you know, basketball in general, regardless of level. You know what's weird? Like, I think when it comes to basketball especially, we're all kind of prisoners to our youth or our adolescence. But I really don't think so in the case of Pac-12, Pac-10 point guards back then. Because when people ask me, and I'll get this, I'll get, you know, somebody will ask me from time to time, who do you consider, you know, the best point guard you've ever seen in the conference? And generally it's Jason Kidd. But there's always three guys to me that just kind of stick out over everybody else. And you would think somebody would say, oh, well, you know, Lonzo Ball or Markel Fultz, those are never the guys that I think of. The three guys. No, they're good, but they're not good from like that, that kind of, well, our golden age, I guess you could say. The three guys that I always think of are Jason Kidd, Mike Bibby, and Baron Davis. Baron Davis was just athletically just so much different than anything I had seen. But those are really the three guys that just stand out. And it's really a testament because Bibby didn't have kids speed. He certainly didn't have Davis's athleticism. But as far as a college player, he really took a backseat to nobody. And he parlayed that into a pretty darn good NBA career as well. Well, I think that that's one thing, too. When we when you texted me saying you wanted to talk about this, um, obviously, the college stuff comes to mind. 
but also those Sacramento teams that he played on, Mike, were right there with the Lakers uh, for a number of years when the right. Lakers were, were winning three-peats. And that one series that they had that went into the seventh game, you, you're talking about you had guys like Peja Stojakovic, Chris Webber, Doug Christie, like some, some really good uh, pro basketball players. The only guy that wanted to take a shot in that game seven for that Sacramento team was Bibby. Again, the moment wasn't too big for him again there, uh, even in the biggest stage he'd ever played on. And that's something still that sticks out to me, even what, almost 20 years later uh, after after watching that series. And I generally think it's a real cop out when somebody says something to the effect of, oh, well, you know, I want to I want the big shot because honestly, anybody that's watched basketball or played basketball at any level knows Nobody really says that. Michael Jordan never had to tell players, I want the last shot. You just knew it. But with Mike Bibby, he wasn't going to tell anybody that he wanted the last shot. He wasn't going to even go to somebody and say, give me the ball. But you know what? If I'm taking that last shot and he's Mike Bibby, Mike Bibby's feeling really good that that shot's going in. And that's like what you said. That's how he was able to parlay not being the best athlete in the world into an NBA career that saw him multiple times average over 20 points per game. And like you said, the apex to me will always be that Lakers series where he's playing Kobe and Shaq. And he went toe-to-toe with Kobe He's going in that series, exactly, Mike. Exactly. He's going toe-to-toe. I mean, you came out of those games thinking, man, I'm watching, because everybody knew at that time what Kobe and Shaq were, and you're like, man, our guy from Phoenix is taking a backseat to nobody out there. Well, you remember Kobe was so frustrated with him that he Marcus elbowed him knows. in the face on an inbounds play. Yeah, and that's when you really know, too, that you got under somebody's skin to a certain extent. <laughs> Absolutely. Too. Man, I'm sure, Rob, when I was board up in here, that there were certain times that you wanted to pull that same maneuver right on me. Oh, never, Mike. We were always having a really pleasant relationship <laughs> when we were working together. We, we really did. <laughs> now, let me ask you this real quick before, because uh, we had to run. When you think of the best players in school history, and I intentionally didn't tell you this because I wanted to think just off the top of your head, guys you've seen, in how many of those guys are point guards here at the U of A? Oh, man, off the top of my head, I would say probably three of them. Agreed. Which is astounding, uh, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you maybe even can go four. Um, the, the ones that come to mind as far as, like, best players – uh, we mentioned two of them already, obviously, with, with uh, well, maybe even four. Okay, yeah, I'll go with four because uh, it would be Bibby and and Damon. Mm-hmm. Um, but then not far behind there is Jason Terry. No doubt. Um, and, and, and the different roles that he played. And I would even throw, even though he Kerr is right there too, just because of his importance to the program overall. Right, he's kind of the seminal overarching figure that, you know what, he's probably not as good as those guys, but when you just talk about overall impact – there's a reason that he was one of the first two guys to have his name put up in the rafters. Yeah, and then you can even throw Jason Gardner in that mix too, Mike. It was I mean, really if you're doing a top fifteen of guys in school history, he's probably on that list too. For sure. It was really a, just an a, an embarrassment of riches and the reason that it rightfully earned the term point guard you. But Rob, as always, we appreciate you having on and uh, I'm back to my normal schedule. So we'll have you back on at this time next week, my man. Always a pleasure, Mike. It's great catching up with you and, uh, of course, uh, rehashing those old days of uh, of Arizona basketball, which we hope are coming back to uh, being in the forefront here sometime soon with Tommy Lloyd. For Rob Lance, I'm Mike Luke. Keep it locked on, Wildcats.